This is Asha Voices, I'm J.D. Gray. When it comes to tinnitus research, our guest says it's an exciting time. We're joined by audiologist Tricia Scaglione for a check-in on all things tinnitus. In recognition of Tinnitus Awareness Week, which begins February 6th, Tricia and I discuss the latest trends, research, and tech that are being used to manage and treat tinnitus. Tricia shares how the pandemic led many to seek services online and what those online services can do for patients' tinnitus awareness levels. Plus, what does the emergence of over-the-counter hearing aids mean for those with tinnitus? Here the answer to this question and many more on ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's resource, That's Unheard Of. This online resource features a variety of tools developed to enhance your soft skills while helping you manage your practice and develop effective treatment plans. Check out thatsunheardof.org. You may have seen today's guest present on trends and tinnitus research at the ASHA convention or at a conference. Clinical audiologist Tricia Scaglione is a faculty member at the University of Miami and the director of the University of Miami Hospital Tinnitus and Sound Sensitivities Clinic. She specializes in tinnitus and in anticipation of Tinnitus Awareness Week, she joins the podcast to discuss the latest news and trends. Acknowledging that an audience of CSD professionals is certainly already aware of tinnitus, I asked Trisha what she was hearing from the public and consumers when she talked about tinnitus. What's their perception? Oftentimes they're surprised to hear that there's somebody who specializes in this area because they think or often tell me, oh, you know, I have that in my ears from time to time or I know somebody who has ringing or noises in their ears. They get really excited to hear sometimes that there is somebody who works with tinnitus or specializes in it because it's common they come back and say, well, I've been told by my other doctors there's nothing you can do about it. So I think it's really great that you and other professionals actually can do something about it. I'm going to ask you just a second about some of the new research that came out over the past year. But as you're seeing patients right now, what are some of the most common treatments that you're recommending? So one of the most common treatments that we recommend is simply, and it's not really a a treatment, it's part of the coping and management, I guess I would consider it, is education. Tinnitus education is so critical because a lot of times demystifying what the tinnitus is helps to put a patient's mind at ease and helps to set them up for success and develop more realistic expectations should they move forward with a form of treatment. And so following education, we will often recommend for management or treatment devices such as ear level devices, hearing aids, tinnitus sound generators that can be worn on the ears. But often we do recommend things like apps that you can couple with a simple set of headphones. Patients are often referred out for mental health therapy treatments such as cognitive behavioral therapy, as well as mindfulness is also becoming more of a common recommendation for tinnitus patients as well. 2022 just wrapped up. I thought it might be a good time to talk about what's new. I mentioned earlier that you often provide recaps and roundups of research, trends, other developments around tinnitus. So how will 2022 be remembered with regards to tinnitus? What stood out to you in the past year? So 2022 for tinnitus is definitely the year of telehealth and teleservices, internet-based care. And a lot of that came out of COVID in the way that we as providers had to adapt and adjust how we were delivering services to our patients to meet the needs of the patients during the pandemic, especially when patients couldn't come into the clinic. 
what this might look like is we started offering telehealth for patients and in, in different capacities from consultations or patient education, like I mentioned before. If patients were already fit with devices, some of these devices have the capability to be able to do remote adjustments. So those could be done with the patient at home and the provider um, in a different location like their clinic. And then also services like the cognitive behavioral therapy or mindfulness programs, those were also being offered now through telehealth, whether they were provider delivered. So the patient was working directly with a provider who was offering these services one-on-one in real time, or these internet-based self-help or self-management strategies that patients can do, including like the internet-based cognitive behavioral therapy. We're seeing that becoming more and more popular in the literature now of clinicians that were offering that over 2021, 2022, and coming out in those publications. I do have to go ahead, though, and I have to recognize that the VA was paving the way of offering these telehealth services for our patients even before COVID. You know, I just think it's important to recognize that they were kind of trailblazers in that respect and, you know, really value what they already had out there for literature because other clinicians could really build off of, of their backs and, and help to support their patients. Another really interesting type of modality that is coming out in the, in the more recent publications is that of what we call bimodal neuromodulation. And essentially, this is using two types of stimuli to be able to manage the tinnitus. The most common you're going to see in the more recent literature is going to be this electrical acoustical stimulus where we're pairing an electrical stimulus that's delivered somewhere on the body. Some individuals are using a delivery model where they use the tongue. Some are placing it on the neck or maybe more tactile on uh, more of a tapping sensation on the wrist paired with an acoustical stimulus, whether that's through headphones or even through a device like a cell phone or a smartphone. And the pairing of these two stimulus can essentially change the neural activity in the brain. And these changes can result in a lessening, or the goal is to help to have a lessening of the severity to the patient's tinnitus, a lessening of the reduction of the tinnitus awareness levels, which is obviously a favorable goal that we are trying to achieve with our patients. So some of these devices are already available on the market, available for patients and for consumers. Some are available. There's a particular manufacturer that's available with their device in the UK, and they're currently seeking FDA approval within the United States. So Hopefully, we'll see that in 2023. There's another research study that's currently taking place at at another site in the United States, and they haven't yet released their consumer device yet, but that's certainly their data is looking very favorable, and I'm really excited if we start to see that role for clinical use. I should mention that with these stimulus, what they're doing is they're trying to pair these sensations through our somatosensory and our auditory system to help have that favorable change in the tinnitus. I would say that those are probably the two biggest things that we see coming out of literature for 2022. Wonderful. Thank you. I want to go back to talk just a little bit more about these virtual services. When we talk about things like mindfulness or cognitive behavioral therapy, how is that being used to give people a sense of relief? That's a really great question. This therapy or this type of treatment is most commonly offered by a mental health therapist. And 
what we're really trying to do is promote a reduction of stress levels for the tinnitus patient because it is certainly not uncommon for patients experiencing these bothersome noises in their head or their ears to have very high levels of stress because of their symptoms. Or stress can also have an increased effect on that tinnitus. It can go either way. Stress can increase the tinnitus or tinnitus can increase the stress. And in the long run, it can actually become cyclical where they're kind of feeding off of each other. Cognitive behavioral therapy is essentially, everything's intertwined in the sense of how we think affects how we, our, our, our thoughts, our feelings, and our our behavior all kind of interact together and influence each other. Commonly, our tinnitus patients can experience anxiety or high stress levels, which can then perpetuate the tinnitus and the focus on the tinnitus. And so by engaging in cognitive behavioral therapy, what the therapist can do is work with the tinnitus patient to help to identify what are maybe some of these hurdles or obstacles or cognitive dis- distortions the patient may have inadvertently set for themselves and help them identify these areas and engage in activities, whether that's stress reduction, whether it's positive thought processes, whether it's self-identifying those cognitive distortions and rethinking those distortions in the moment. It's usually about an eight-week program. And then mindfulness is a form of stress reduction that the individual can be using at home. Again, that if they're feeling like they're having these high stress levels, whether it's linked to their tinnitus or not, they have this tool where they can engage in this exercise or activity to help calm their mind and help set them up for greater success with managing and dealing with their tinnitus. Mm. I think one thing that's really interesting to me about these virtual services is that, you know, when we think about what people are looking towards when it comes to tinnitus. I think a lot of people might be looking towards something like we've discussed before, something that fits into the ear, or maybe shaped like a pill, you know, but during the pandemic, this treatment emerged or became highlighted on devices that are already accessible to people, maybe already in their pocket, like a phone. So I just think that's a really interesting thing that here is a circumstance in the world that shifted what services people might be looking towards. I completely agree with you. And I think that patients are not as aware of what tools they already have access to right there at home or maybe right on them in that moment, like a smartphone. Apps in particular have been one of the greatest things, in my personal opinion, that have happened for tinnitus patients because it's access to a form of relief right there at their fingertips. Most people that we see these days have a phone glued to their hand. There's just a plethora of apps that are out there, both specifically for tinnitus. Some manufacturers have created tinnitus-specific apps, but also just general sound apps out there that might be designed for facilitating sleep. But they also, these apps can include muscle relaxation or um, activities associated with mindfulness or guided breathing and And then again, the sound file library that the patients can just scroll through and that day in that moment, be able to select what is the most relaxing for them, what is the most distracting for their tinnitus in that time and space. Yeah. And access to white noise as well. Yeah, absolutely. White noise, pink noise, there's all kinds of shape noise out there for patients. 
Many of the applications we've discussed don't require hearing aids, though they could be streamed through a hearing aid. But in the second half of the episode, Trisha and I do discuss the role of hearing aids, specifically over-the-counter hearing aids, and we talk about hearing protection. Support for Asher Voices comes from Ash's resource, That's Unheard Of. It's always important to check for blind spots in your practice. That's Unheard Of features a variety of tools developed to enhance your soft skills while helping you manage your practice and develop effective treatment plans. They're quick and easy to use. Learn more at thatsunheardof.org. One of the big stories we've been following on the podcast and the pages of the Asher Leader magazine is over-the-counter hearing aids. They became commercially available the end of last year in October of 2022. What potential do you see in over-the-counter hearing aids for treating tinnitus? That I think is going to be definitely the question of 2023 and maybe going into 2024. Over-the-counter hearing aids are new. So with that, we're very limited on the information that we have thus far. When it comes to over-the-counter hearing aids, I think that there's a lot of considerations that go into how these devices can work or be utilized for the appropriate patient. There's been studies out there that show that properly fit hearing aids or properly fit amplification has resulted in a reduction in tinnitus awareness levels, right? That's a positive thing. That's what we want to see. So there is certainly potential for these over-the-counter devices to be able to offer something similar. But it's not necessarily that easy because it has to do with properly fit devices. And over-the-counter hearing aids are not a one-size-fit-all. Individuals may or may not be a candidate for the -the over-the-counter device. And then also it really is coupled with the education and the counseling and the support by the healthcare provider. Tinnitus, it's not just a, a physical or physiological event that's happening in the body, but Also, there's this psychological component to it. Not only do we want to make sure that our patients are fit properly with a device that's appropriate for them, but also that they have the care from that healthcare provider that understands tinnitus and can help guide them through the process of realistic expectations or adjustments of the device or counseling on proper use of the device, wear time, volume, all of that. I'm not writing off OTCs. I think that OTCs will have the potential to benefit our tinnitus patients. It's just being able to identify who is the right patient and how are we using it for that individual patient. I want to talk a little bit about hearing protection as well and prevention of tinnitus. So one hope for OTC hearing aids is that they may usher in a reduction of a perceived stigma around hearing devices and hearing protection. They're being sold in large electronic stores with video games and televisions. You know, similarly, we're seeing earplugs being advertised in a way that focuses on agency or an active lifestyle and control over one's focus. So do you think the perception of hearing protection and, and stigma reduction is something taking hold with consumers or is it something that we're hopeful for is still on the horizon? I think it's so fascinating that individuals will walk around with, and they have for years with these Bluetooth devices in their ears, like AirPods or whatever, you know, there's all these different manufacturers that have devices that are big and bulky and so noticeable. And there's no stigma around that, right? It's like, hey, you're cool because you have this product or it's just accepted. You see the individuals using them in their workplace or young kids being able to wear them around their peers or people in the grocery store. But 
I find it just so interesting when individuals are hesitant to wear a small device that can help their tinnitus or their hearing loss. And they're like, no, I don't want anybody to see that. They're very concerned about how others will perceive them. But then they'll put their Bluetooth device in and leave the office. I'm really hoping that with more of these devices that become available, that it does help to reduce this stigma. I know I've heard of other colleagues have also mentioned that, that they're you know really thinking positively that this will help to reduce that stigma. So that way, you know, as it becomes more accepted and these devices are more readily acceptable, that more and more individuals will be more apt to want to wear something in their ears, like a sound generator or like a hearing aid. Yeah. And maybe hearing protection as well. Yeah. So in terms of hearing protection, it would be fantastic if more and more individuals do become accustomed to wearing hearing protection and it helps to reduce that stigma as well. So whether individuals were in like nightclubs or concerts and it just becomes this accepted use, I mean, I think that that would just be an ideal situation. And what I'm pleasantly surprised to see is that in the more recent years, I've seen this trending where patients are coming to me and showing me hearing protection devices that they have purchased on like, let's say Amazon. and that really makes me so happy as a healthcare provider that they were able to identify and wear those because the sooner that we can start protecting our hearing, we can hopefully have the greater longevity of having healthy hearing, healthy ears, potentially helping to reduce our onset of tinnitus or onset of hearing loss or other ear-related issues. So I think that the accessibility of earplugs and not having to necessarily go to a specialist for them is great because we always want this like instant gratification, the Amazon that you can get overnight, that it's not necessarily easy or feasible for a patient to be able to make that appointment and go see their provider and wait a couple weeks for an earplug. But it is really important, I think, for patients to know that audiologists and other healthcare providers, we can make impressions of their ears and make custom fit hearing protection that helps to make it safer for them to engage in their hobbies or activities that they really like to enjoy. And these plugs can really vary depending on what their listening need is. So if they're a musician or like going to concerts, or if it's somebody who goes to the firing range, those are two very different types of earplugs that the individual could benefit from. And a professional like an audiologist can help counsel the patient and give them this information so they can be using the right device. One other thing I want to also make sure it's important to note is that while patients can have access to some of these devices online or even going right to their local pharmacy and picking up things like the foam earplugs or the putty earplugs, what is most important is making sure that they're actually wearing the devices appropriately. It kills me when I see somebody trying to wear earplugs, but they don't actually have it fit in their ear deep enough or properly, and then they risk not actually having the protection that they're trying to enforce for themselves. That's a great point. You talked about people finding options to protect their hearing online, and I want to talk a little bit more about what patients may be finding online and what they're bringing into the office. So I'm thinking of health literacy now. You know, we're seeing growing attention towards online inaccuracies, misinformation, et cetera. And I have to wonder whether if it's through social media or elsewhere, are you seeing patients arrive to your office with misconceptions about what might be possible for treating their tinnitus? 
Absolutely. And that's actually why my clinic, while we offer tinnitus education sessions, actually not just offer, we mandate anyone who wants to go through with tinnitus services, they have to go through a tinnitus education session with our team. And I'm frequently met with the statement of, I'm already aware of tinnitus. I've already looked this up on my own. I don't want to go through this. And it's a completely understandable statement that the majority of these patients are already going online, whether it's on their computer or on their smart device, and Googling tinnitus. And unfortunately, there's a lot of false information or false claims on the internet about tinnitus, magic pills that claim to cure tinnitus, or individuals writing about their experience with certain devices or treatments they have used, and whether it was successful or not successful. And knowledge is power, but It can also be very dangerous if the patient doesn't know how to truly read that information. And and what I mean by that is I have seen products that have claimed to be effective for tinnitus and they have a link for research. And I've read those research articles and sometimes, not all manufacturers, but sometimes those articles have actually had nothing to do with tinnitus at all. You know, it just looks fancy to the patient of, oh, look, there's this data when the data has nothing to really do with the product. So it could be really misleading. Also, there might be patients sharing their feedback on social media or TikTok about what did or what didn't work for them. But they're also not truly explaining what was recommended by their healthcare provider. Each of our patients is unique and comes in with their own specific needs. Do they have hearing loss? Do they not have hearing loss? What does that look like? What other health conditions may need to be considered as well that can certainly be contributing to their tinnitus or exacerbating their symptoms? And are those being managed? In terms of tinnitus treatments or management options, if something's recommended to a patient, Tinnitus management is not a quick fix. It's not an overnight thing where they use a device one time and then suddenly their tinnitus is gone, but rather individuals usually need to use the devices for weeks to months to even, you know, a year before they have long-term lasting effects from the device. And again, my big disclaimer to that is it really depends on what that treatment is. And the person who's on social media, on TikTok, on Google, talking about their experience, You don't know if they were using that device appropriately. Were they adhering to that management plan? And if they didn't have success, was it because they were compliant and it just truly didn't give them success or did their own non-compliance contribute to why they didn't have success? And so I just think that patients not knowing that they need to be asking all these questions and looking at the whole picture, it can be very, I think, discouraging to patients if they think that there's nothing out there that can help them. Or if they come in with this idea of XYZ is going to be their end-all, be-all answer for them, and then maybe they're not the right candidate for them, the provider has to be really prepared to help educate their patient about the reality of tinnitus and how it absolutely can be managed. That's so important. That's such a huge take-home point for patients is it can be managed. But what is right for them? And how can they be a compliant patient to have potential for the greatest outcome and the most optimal outcome and success. And I don't think I don't think you can just easily read that on the internet. You can't just easily pull that from Google or from a social media site. In closing, you know, we're still at the beginning of 2023. You mentioned that OTC hearing aids will likely be one of the main stories over the next year too. What else will you be watching for in 2023? Anything on the horizon that we should know about? 
I think that also, you know, there's studies that are going on that I'm aware of that have to do with the pharmacological management of tinnitus as well. So I think that that's something that we should keep our eyes out. I know of um, a couple of different sites throughout the U.S., some medical centers that are looking at pharmacological treatment. And I think that may pose some exciting and favorable results, but only time will tell. So I look forward to seeing what publications come out of that. Wonderful. Trisha, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much. And thanks for helping to promote Tinnitus Awareness Week. It's certainly extremely important for tinnitus providers and tinnitus patients alike. We really appreciate that. Find more information and links to ASHA resources focused on tinnitus and tinnitus management on the blog post for this episode at on.asha.org podcast. While you're there, you'll also find links to the websites of the American Tinnitus Association and Tinnitus UK, two websites that Trisha specifically wanted to highlight for their tinnitus resources because they provide reliable information for patients who want to read more about tinnitus, tinnitus management, and research. And I want to highlight one more resource. You just heard Trisha mention the possibility of new pharmacological management of tinnitus. If you want to hear more about the intersection of the pharmacological world and audiology, look to the podcast archive. You'll find an episode about ototoxicity and how some drugs may interact and result in tinnitus, hearing loss, or vestibular issues. As a note, the ASHA audiology department wants to mention that patients can review medications with their primary care provider or ENT physicians to look at potential interactions and medications that may be triggering or worsening tinnitus. You'll find another episode about the ways in which audiologists and pharmacists can work together to address patients' needs with the introduction of over-the-counter hearing aids. Find all episodes online at on.asha.org podcast. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader Magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's resource, That's Unheard Of. This online resource features a variety of tools developed to enhance your soft skills while helping you manage your practice and develop effective treatment plans. Learn more at that'sunheardof.org. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.